Wow, thank you, worship team. Thank you, Ashley, for leading us in our hearts to God. I mean, that's why we come, right? To focus on God and bring to Him worship. And that's what this sermon series is about. How do we produce in our lives things that bring worship to Him? Now, just before I start, part of our worship is uh, how we obey his command to love others. And as a church, April is our season of loving others corporately as we use the manpower, the woman power, and the financial resources we have to bless and serve and love people in our community, organizations in our community as they seek to do good works and to uh, move forward the name of God. And so East, uh, April is coming. That's the month that we, uh, that we call it the big give. And we give both financially, but we also give, and we are going to emphasize this year, giving, uh, giving of our time and our energy freely for people and to help them. And so we're going to kick that off April 9th. I just want you to be aware that uh, this is one of those times that we as men get to serve and Willow Grove, which is a camp that serves people in our area, and Willow Grove over McCowan, they need uh, us as a church to show up on Saturday morning, April 9th from 9 to 12, and we are going to just help them with cleanup and bring, bring a facelift to the camp. And so I really encourage you, whether you're life group or just individuals, to join me on that. I, I need help because <laughs> I'm not much good clean like with my hands. I can pick garbage up, but that's the extent of my... Abilities right there. And I need uh, people to join us, and it'll be a fun time just to connect with one another, but also to serve. So you'll hear of other things coming, but if you have April 9th, you want to make that a time where you're going to serve other people and to, in, in to love, get, share the love of Christ with them, then I want you to join me and be part of that. Now, before I start uh, to, to, to speak, uh, I, want, I, I need you to join with me to kind of release a heaviness that I have. So when I was driving here, whew, I called Regan and Erica. And if you don't know, they gave birth to a little boy, Felix, a couple weeks ago. And he went back into the hospital. It's not likely he's going to ever come out. And so they're going down each day to be with their son and uh, make decisions. And it's just really heavy. And so as I was talking to them this morning, it just was so heavy what they're facing. And so I thought we could pray for them. So would you stand with me? And, and uh, when somebody prays, uh, in your mind, pray along with them and talk to God with what they say. So as I pray, you talk to God about the things that I'm saying, just like you would in a normal conversation when somebody's talking, you're in a group and somebody's talking, you kind of listen to what they're saying, and you're thinking, yeah, that's true, or that's right. But now, you can, in prayer, we bring God into our conversation that's going on in our head while we're listening to somebody else. And that's how we pray together, so pray with me. Jesus, I pray for an incredible sense of comfort and presence. As Felix keeps uh, getting worse, Our prayer for him and for Erica and Regan is grace. May they find your presence in unusual ways. Would you bring comfort to them that we can't explain, a peace that is beyond understanding. 
for you to carry them. I think of both Regan and Erica's family too, their parents and siblings who are walking with them in this journey. Would your love and mercy be given to them? That as a family they will draw closer to one another and especially closer to you. Give Erica grace as she watches her little boy wrapped in tubes, unlikely to come out of the hospital. We lift them up to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Uh, and now, oddly enough, this uh, passage that we're going to look at is very closely tied, not by design on my part, but it's just tied to life and the reality that we go through very difficult things sometimes. Yesterday, I was pruning the shrubs, the evergreens, in my garden. Apparently, March is when you're supposed to do that. So I read some years ago and I have been doing it. Now, I w as I was cutting away, I was like cutting big chunks away uh, from the, these shrubs. When I first began several years ago, I would just take a little off here and there, but the, the, the shrubs just looked ugly within a short period of time when growing season happened. And they, didn't, they weren't always healthy. And what I learned over the years was, hey, you can't kill these things. And so just start cutting away and that actually they look better in the summer once they've had their growth as you prune and cut them. And I thought, here I am in my garden pruning and cutting and making these shrubs uh, look good and make them healthy by the work that I'm doing. And it didn't miss my attention that I would be here the next day, this morning, preaching about the, the father in a garden where he cleans and he prunes and he's taking care of his plants in order that they would produce fruit. And I realized that our lives are God's garden. My garden's out in front of my house, but God's garden is your life. Now, we went to this metaphor about spiritual growth that Jesus gives in John chapter 15. We started last week. And we learned that in this, there are three characters that are in this metaphor. There's Jesus, who is the vine. There's the Father, who is the gardener. And then there are the branches, or believers, who are the branches. And each has its role in the growth of a Christian. Jesus, we learned, is the true vine who gives life, who gives a life that you cannot access in this world other than through him. A life that is eternal, a life that gives meaning, a life that gives hope, a life that gives purpose, a life that makes sense of us in our world and our world for all time. That eternal life, the life of God, and it comes through the word of God. That as we engage in the word, the life flows to and through us. But now I want to look at the Father's role. And so John chapter 15, I'm going to read again. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, there are going to be three things that the gardener does in the gardens of our lives, and I want you to see if you can pick them out, because this whole sermon revolves around those three things. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, 
while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself because we don't have the life that produces fruit. Only Jesus does. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't, there's nothing you can do. If you do not remain in me, you are like the branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, my followers. The first thing the Father does is cleans. He cleans. John chapter 15, verse 2. He cleans every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, if you're following your scripture, you know I changed the word. The word that is translated cuts off, that I translated clean, in the Greek is iro. It's a very common word in the New Testament. And it has kind of a dual root meaning. It means to pick something up and carry it away. And so it was used in a variety of different ways. Sometimes it, reviews to, it was used to pick things up. And at other times it was used to remove something. Or sometimes it was used for both. And the context tells you which one it means in that context. Now the translators have chosen to the second idea of carrying it away or cutting it off because they thought it fit the metaphor. I don't think they made a good decision. Not because I'm smarter than them, but because the metaphor doesn't suit the metaphor. Jesus is talking about growing vines and he says the father is the gardener and the gardener cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. But that isn't what a gardener would do. The first thing a gardener would do would be to lift up branches that are on the ground and are getting dirty and that are rotting. He would lift them up and clean them off and then prop them up so that they could bear fruit. If a gardener went around and cut off every branch, he would have no fruit because the branches bear the fruit. And so it doesn't fit the sense of the metaphor to say he cut, goes around cutting branches off, he goes around lifting them up and cleaning them off. The second reason I think that makes sense with the context is if you go into verse three, Jesus said, you're already clean. Well, what, what does that have to do with anything? If the father's going around cutting branches off and pruning and cutting things, what, what does clean have to do with being cut off? It has a lot to do if the word iroh is translated like the metaphor would use it as lifted up and clean. It has nothing to do with the metaphor if you translate it as cut off. The other thing I would say is that um, 
When, when Jesus is talking about what the Father does in verse 2, he says two of the three things in verse 2, why would he say that the gardener cuts off and then the gardener prunes? They're basically the same thing. See, the context doesn't make sense, but it does make sense if you think of the gardener going around, finding branches that are down in the ground, that are dirty, and need to be picked up, cleaned off, so they won't rot and disease won't get in them and prop them up, so that they can produce fruit. And that's the very start of what a gardener does for his vines when he's in the vineyard. Now, the question I want to take us to is, okay, he, you know, cleans. Uh, well, what does that mean and how does he do it? Well, the, when are we, when does scripture say we're dirty? When we have sin that's not dealt with. And so the gardener, the father in the garden of our lives works and moves in our lives so that when we are down in the dirt, when we are dirty and muddy and rot and disease is forming, when we are allowing sin in our lives and not dealing with it, he comes, he picks us up, and he cleans us off. And how does the Father do that? Well, there's an interesting passage. I want you to turn there, Matthew, or rather Hebrews chapter 12. A very interesting passage that tells us exactly how the Father cleans us off. Verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 12. In your struggle, get it? Struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So that's the expectation of Scripture of how we ought to be fighting sin. Until it kills you. Is really the way to say that. And you've completely forgotten this, now, word of encouragement, this word that should breathe hope into you, that, that addresses you as a father addresses a son. What he's about to write is like, this is what a good father would do with a son he loves or a daughter he loves. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't think that when God brings discipline in your life, you don't need to pay attention to it. That's really nothing. Just ignore it. Don't make light of it. It's the, the loving hand of a father in your life. And don't lose heart. So there, there's two ditches when it comes to the discipline of God. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Not pay attention to it. Or, oh, I just I don't think I'll ever survive. I, I, I'm just, I'm going to quit this whole thing. Don't make light of it. Don't lose heart. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And if you're a good father, you know exactly, if you're a good mother, you know exactly what that term means. You discipline your child to protect them and to teach them so people don't hate them in life. If you have a kid that nobody likes, maybe the problem is you're not disciplining them. That's what that passage is saying. Discipline, loving discipline, is an essential in the life of our children. You already know they're not perfect. It doesn't get better if you just leave it alone. And God, like a loving father, disciplines the one he loves, because that's how you show love to your children. One of the ways you show love to your children, you discipline the ones you love. And he chastens everyone 
he accepts as a son or daughter. Nobody gets to avoid discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. There it is. That's how God cleans us up. He, we, we, he gives hardship into our lives, and it's discipline, and God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? It's a rhetorical question. God expects us as parents to discipline our kids because it's what key, it's what gives them the best and helps form them. It's, it's how we love our kids, and God goes, well, what child is not disciplined by his father? You know, I don't want to stand before God and him go, you didn't even love your kids enough to discipline them and help them face the issues in their life. That was a rhetorical question. What son, what father doesn't discipline his children? And if you're not disciplined, and everyone, (laughs) you get the point? Everyone goes under discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Like if you're not going through hardship in your life at different times and seasons, and you got to question whether God's even a part of your life. Now that statement brings hope to me. Oh, there's purpose in the hardship that I have to endure. There's more going on than I feel or think. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. My, my kids laugh about some of the disciplines I pulled off. Uh, but there's always a respect. In fact, we have great relationship because when they were younger, I didn't let them rule the house. And now that they're older, they basically rule the house. No. (laughs) How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. Get it there? God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. The discipline of God, the hard things of God that he brings into our lives are designed with a purpose to make us share in the life that Jesus gives so that we can produce fruit that Jesus expects us to produce when he puts life within us. And so God cleans us by bringing hard things into our lives that draw us away from sin and, and, and get us to confess that sin and then repent from it, turn away from it, and begin to walk with Jesus, begin to overcome. Now, I had a very good friend, and he was a fellow elder in a previous church that I was at. Uh, he was a little bit older than me, and uh, he had scars on his face right here, like all down here. And when he, he grew up in a Christian home, his parents loved the Lord, followed the Lord, taught him to follow the Lord. He trusted Christ, but when he got into his early 20s, he said, loud enough of this. And so his life became working Monday to Friday, he had a very good job. And he would collect enough money to party from Friday night after work to Sunday night when he came home. And so it was nothing but drinking, drugs. Uh, I don't know if drugs were a big part of it, but the drinking, drunkenness, partying all weekend long. And he just, you know, Monday morning, rinse and repeat. And he was doing this for several years. (laughs) And he had a mother and a father that prayed for him. And he was with a buddy, and they had been drinking, and they were driving down a dirt road to avoid the cops, 
and his buddy lost control of the car, and the car swerved, going too fast, went into the ditch, and rolled over onto its side. And my friend was on the side with his window down, and he got trapped, and his hand and his face were, were scraping along the ground as the car was sliding to a stop. Hence the scars all down his face, 40 years later. And he said, I always knew that I was not living for Christ and that the lifestyle I have was sinful. But I just wasn't going to change. When he came out of that car accident, he said, I was lucky that I didn't lose my eye. And he praises God that God cared enough for him to take him through what he had to go through in order to get him to the point where he would confess his sin and repent from it and change. And that young 20-year-old became a godly man who had a godly family who served as an elder in the church. You don't tell me God doesn't love us. God brings hard things into our lives to take us from our sins so that we are willing to confess it and repent from it. And see, that's how we respond. When the, when, when the Father is picking us up and cleaning us off and uses the difficult, hard things, it may not be an accident. It could be the loss of somebody we love. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the rejection from friends. It could be all kinds of different things that we go through that are really hard, and we go, I know why this is happening. I need to change my life. That's the love of the Father. He picks us up, cleans us off, so we can produce fruit that will last, not rotten fruit. And our response is confession and repentance. So if God is working in your life and you're going through a hard thing right now, the first question you might want to ask is, God, is this coming into my life because of sin that I am not changing? I'm not confessing or repenting from. That's a great question to ask God right now. Because I'm going to guess some of you are going through some hard things. But it may be God's loving tap on your life to say, you need to come out of those. Now, the second thing that the Father does, not only does he lift up and clean us off from our sin, but we're also told in that second part of that verse that, that while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so he cleans us up and clips us and, and cleans us off and takes us from sin. But he, now he goes about the branches that are already producing fruit. So they're the branches that are doing well. And then he takes the shears and he cuts away the parts that are preventing growth and fruit from even getting bigger and better. Now the difference here is cutting, I don't think I need to tell you that cutting is painful. And so you might ask, well, what's the difference between God disciplining me to take me out of sin and God cutting good things out of my life to help me become more fruitful? And the difference isn't in the pain. The difference is in the intent of the gardener. For the gardener brings difficult things into our lives, into the garden of our lives, in order to get us to leave sin. But he also brings difficult things in in order for us to cut away the, the good things so that the best things can can really take over. So you may be going through hard things, not because you have sin you're not repenting from, but because God's saying, I want to take you to a whole new level. 
Now, this is a common theme in Scripture. Moses, 40 years taking care of sheep in the desert. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. 40 years so that he could what? Lead the people of Israel through the desert for 40 years. And is revered as one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. But preceded by 40 years in the desert with just sheep. David, king, fabulous king, great king, preceded by 10 years of running for his life as Saul persecuted and chased him and tried to kill him. And David going from hand to mouth at times, barely escaping from Saul. I was anointed king and here I am running in the wilderness for my life. And God gave him eight to 10 years of of barely surviving so that he could become a man who sought after God's own heart and become the greatest king in Israel, minus Jesus. What about Hannah? Longing and praying for a baby. And God withheld a baby from her. She was barren for years and suffered under the oppression and the mockery and the attack of her husband's other wife. And and she lived in sadness and in pain. And God did it so that when she did give birth to Samuel, she would give Samuel to God to serve God. Now, what would it take to get a woman to the place where she would give a baby to God to serve him. And he became one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. What about Jesus? Father, if this cup would pass before me, let it pass. Nevertheless, your will not mine. What was God's will for his son? A cross. Because he was a sinner? Obviously, Jesus was not a sinner, but because we are sinners, and that if Jesus didn't suffer for our sin, then we could never find forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with the Father. And so Jesus, the sinless one, had to suffer what we deserve so that we could get what he deserved, and that is life with the Father. Well, this theme is all through Scripture. I'm going to take you to a higher level, so I'm going to turn up the burner in your life. James chapter 1. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, that the trial you're going through is designed to do what? Create perseverance in you because as you persevere through trials, you will become mature and complete and lacking nothing. Everything that the Father wants in you is brought through perseverance in the things you don't want to be in. Not because you're sinning, but because he values you and wants to produce in your life more fruit. My first ministry, I left seminary and went and became an associate for five years. And in the fifth year, now Crystal and I loved it there. Both our boys were, both our boys, we have three, (laughs) sorry about that. (laughs) To the one that I just forgot. Um, our two oldest were born there. Uh, and we had built our first home there. Uh, we loved it there. People loved us. I wasn't a senior pastor, so I didn't have to make the hard decisions. And I, I was liked, loved by even people. And, and it was fabulous uh, being there, and we were enjoying it. And then the senior pastor walked into my office in the fifth year and said, Ed, it's time for you to go. 
And I'm like, I was stunned. I mean, we were comfortable, we loved it. We had dreams of ministering there for years. And he walks in, it wasn't because I'd done something wrong or wasn't doing good work, he just believed it was time for me to go. And I knew that I couldn't fight him because number one, I would lose, but that wasn't really the issue. The issue was when you have two pastors fighting each other, the church suffers, so I knew I couldn't do that, so I would just have to leave. And so I did leave, and then a few years after that, it hit me. I'm, I'm serving now as a senior pastor in a church and, and leading it and loving it, and it hit me. I never would have left there. I was too comfortable. It was too good. It was too easy. I never would have left there if my friend had nudged me and pushed me out and said, you need to leave. I didn't understand it at the time. It hurt at the time. I didn't like it at the time. I was angry at the time. And then looking back, I go, ah, I never would have had the ministry you were preparing me for if I was left on my own. So you had to bring somebody in to nudge me along. You had to take away what was good so that I could begin to experience what was best. And so I could serve you. And so maybe this is where you should be asking yourself because when God is bringing hardship into our life in order to prune and cut away the things in our life that are good but need to be removed so that we can produce more fruit, maybe in the hardship of your life, here's your question. It's not, the first one is, is there sin in my life you want to address, God? The second one is, is there something you want to do? I'm going to trust you and obey. It's not... Confess and repent because it's not sin that God's dealing with in your life. It's, I'm taking you to a new level, so I want you to trust me. You likely will not know what God wants to do until years down the road, if ever. And, and, but will you trust God with the hardship in your life because he's going to use it to increase the eternal fruit that is produced in your life? Will you trust him and obey with what he's telling you to do? So, well, there's God. Is that why this is in my life? Do I need to trust you with it? Even though I don't have the answer to it. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to become bitter. I'm not going to walk around always angry. I'm not going to doubt you. Instead, I'm going to trust you and obey with whatever you're telling me to do. So there's the the gardener walking in the garden of your life, preparing you to crease the fruit that you produce in your life. There's purpose in the hardship that's in your life. It's not there randomly. It's not there because God doesn't love you. It's there because he's either calling you out of sin or he's calling you further up. And hardship is the way that he uses, the pain is what he uses to do both of those works. It's your response that determines whether or not it's effective. Now, what's the third thing that the Father does? The very last one, this one is often missed. The very last verse that we are reading, verse eight. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So in this, you go from, you know, you're not producing fruit because you're laying in the ground in sin, and so God picks you up and cleans you off, and you begin to produce fruit. And then 
He takes the pruning shears so that you go from producing fruit to producing more fruit. And then he gives us time and draws us closer to Jesus over time so we'll produce much fruit. That's where God, and that's a process. That's a process that takes years in your life. And, and you don't have to worry about it because the life that produces the fruit comes from Jesus. So if you're engaging with him in his word, you will get that life. And the Father will bring the things into your life that need to be there in order to clean us off or to prune us and there is a purpose for it and here it is this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples it's all for him let's stop and think about this for a second who ought to get the biggest benefit from a company the owner that's how it works Who ought to get the benefit of the fruit and the vegetables that are grown on a field? Well, the farmer. And who ought to get the benefit of the fruit in the vineyard? The gardener, the owner. This is what this is teaching us. This is not about you and me. It is first and foremost about him. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. We don't even own our lives. Now that shouldn't be. Now, time out. In our culture of hyper-individualism and seeking for purpose, we're often told this is your life. That you are unique, and it's your life. Learn to do with it something that will be of value to you. That's the way our world works. That's what it teaches us. You will be fulfilled when you find what satisfies you. Scripture comes along and says, you are not your own. You're bought with price. You don't even own your own life. And by the way, it's not hard to get to that conclusion. You don't own your own life. Did you choose to be born when you were born? Did you choose to look like what you look like? I know some of us didn't choose that. Right? If we had choice, we'd look different. Did you choose what gifts, talents, abilities you had? Did you, do you choose what family you were born into? What country you were born into? What time you were born? Do you choose how long you live? Well, some people are trying. Do you choose where you go after that? So in what sense do you own your life? When you can't make the most basic decisions about your life. They're all made for us. C.S. Lewis says, the shock that we will get when we step into eternity for many is that you will belong to one or the other, to God or the evil one, but you certainly won't belong to yourself. That's sobering. And here, Jesus is teaching us that God is at work in the garden of your life in order that you will produce fruit and you and I will be productive for him, exalt him, bring glory to him because that's the way we're designed. See, I, you know when I get most discouraged about the church? 
is when I become a consumer. When I make the church about me. Well, if I was making the decision, well, I guess I am sometimes, aren't I? (laughs) When I'm complaining about people, when I'm complaining about how things are going, when I come to a worship service or a life group and I think it should be my way, when I want to live my life the way I want to live my life, regardless of what God may say, that when I become the consumer instead of the consumed, I become very unhappy. And disobedient, by the way. It's when I pour myself out for the Father, that's where I find the joy. When I'm giving and serving and giving of myself to others for the sake of the Father, loving others because the Father told me to love others and Jesus told me that's the greatest commandment. When I'm loving others and loving God, that's when I feel the most fulfilled and have the most joy and feel like life really is worth something. It's when I turn everything to myself and become the consumer where I expect everything to work for me, where I use everything for me, my money, my gifts, my time. That's when I become the least happy. We're, We're designed to produce fruit that will glorify God, not satisfy us. Now, I'm I'm most satisfied when I'm doing that, but the shift happens in my mind. I start thinking it's about me. And I suspect you struggle with that as much as I do. That's what sin does to us. And so the proper response when the Father calls us to produce fruit is to give and serve. So maybe the question for you right now is this. God, where where are you calling me to give or serve or give and serve? Be ashamed to live your life and stand before Jesus and say, well, I really didn't have time to give and serve for you. We're going to learn. There's a good chance that's an indication you aren't his. Because if that's the attitude I have, I'm told the Father's going to clean me off from that one. And then he's going to clip away some things that are taking my time and my energy and preventing me from doing what he wants me to do. So if that's not happening in your life, you have bigger problems. Because in, in Hebrews, didn't he say, everyone undergoes discipline if they're a true child. So, When the Father cleans us off and brings hardship to clean us off, our response is to confess to who we need to confess to and then repent, change, seek God for change in our lives. When he brings hardship into our lives and it's not because he's dealing with sin, it means he's taking us to a whole new level. So we trust in him and obey and do what he calls us to do or we think is the right thing to do next. And then when he gives us opportunity and he commands us, now go produce fruit in your church, in the lives of your neighbor, in the lives of your family, of people at work go produce fruit then we go yes I'm going to go and give and serve and here's the thing our lives are the garden of God 
And he's at work in these ways in our lives. And if you look, you can see him at work clearly. But we're different from the garden out in front of my house because the garden out in front of my house, when I prune it, it just keeps growing because that's the, nat- the way nature works. But we're different. We're not like plants. We have a, a will in which we can say, no, I'm not submitting to this. And that brings up a whole other story that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I'm so thankful for the life that you breathe and give us through your word. And Father, for your loving touch, that you are like a gardener that's in amongst his plants, caring for them, looking at their lives and, and looking at them and seeing what needs to be removed and knowing where to cut, where not to cut, when to cut. And that's you at work in the garden of our lives. We're, we're, our lives are your garden, God. That's where you're at work. And I pray that, that we will take to heart the words and have hope that the pain and the hurt that we are going through is not random. It's not, it, it's, it's not without purpose. It's full of purpose. And it's actually from your hand calling us to become stronger, more mature, more fruit-producing disciples. God, for those that need to confess and repent, would you put this so heavy on their mind they can't get away from it? For those that just need the hope that you're, you're leading them to something bigger and better, would you give them the trust while they can't see that and help them to obey you? And for all of us where you're calling us to give and to serve, may we have the courage, the selflessness, the submission to give and to serve so that we could love others if you had told us. Pray all this because Jesus died, so this would all happen. Lord, as your will is in heaven, so may it be here on earth among Springville.